we have been studying uh, really since January the book of John, and last week we actually, since it was Easter, and uh, we uh, wanted to celebrate Easter, you celebrate Easter by talking about the resurrection, so we actually skipped a chapter and went from chapter 9 to chapter 11, um, and so now we're going back and picking up John chapter 10, and so as, as you think about John chapter 10 to just kind of get us into the scene, um, remember in the original Bible there was no verse divisions, chapter divisions, these little headings, those were things that have been added, and they're very helpful to us reading our Bible, it helps us define things. Uh, but they can also hurt us from picking up the context. Uh, and so uh, chapter 10 really flows right out of chapter 9. Remember, Jesus heals the blind man who had been blind from birth, and the Pharisees beat him up, so to speak. Maybe not physically, but, well, maybe. I don't know. He got kicked out of the synagogue. I don't know what that scene actually was like. Um, but he was very fragile, this man. And Jesus comes to him, and remember, the man... Uh, he, he falls down and he worships Jesus and says, you're the son of God. And so he's dealing with this very fragile man who has been harmed and hurt and excommunicated. And then he goes right into John 10, I am the good shepherd. And so remember that kind of coming uh, into John chapter 10. The context kind of helps us um, feel exactly what Jesus um, is trying to communicate with us this morning. So this is John 10. This is God's Word, 1 through 18. And I'm also, I could not do this chapter without doing 27 through 29. It's not printed for you, uh, but if you have your Bible, you can open up your Bible and find that, or you can just listen, or you can look at a pew Bible. This is God's Word. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they do not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. We won't talk about this in detail, but he's talking about the Gentiles, the grafting in and the bringing in of the Gentiles so that there's one people of God with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Now look at verses 27 through 29. The sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me pray and ask God to come and be with us. Let's pray together. Father, you tell us that your word is sweeter than honey, that it revives the soul. And Father, we need to have our soul revived this morning. You know us. We are your sheep. And you know how fragile we are. You know how weak we feel, uh, even at this moment, and you love us. Father, you know our heavy hearts this morning. You know our hurting bodies. You know our uh, emotions that we bring into this room. You know about the broken marriages and the setbacks and our fears. And we're asking you to come through your spirit and to move those away just for a moment and to break straight through those this morning so that we might hear you and so that we might have life abundantly as we leave this place this morning. Father, we need to be fed, and you do feed your sheep, and so feed us, the good shepherd. Would you feed us uh, through John chapter 10 this morning? Show us Jesus and how good he really is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the images, well, there's lots of images that God uses throughout the Bible, metaphors or pictures or windows in uh, to describe his relationship uh, with his people. And he tells us, we see one of those here in John chapter 10. It's all the way, starts all the way in the Old Testament and comes really all the way through uh, the Bible. Even see it showing up in Revelation. And the metaphor is the one of a shepherd with his sheep. God's obviously the shepherd. And his people are his sheep. But we, I think in 2017, we're at a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to really grasping this metaphor and picture of what God is showing us. And the reason why is because we don't see a lot of shepherd and sheep walking around on a day-to-day basis like they did in the first century. They saw this all the time. They would connect uh, with what's going on and what Jesus was trying to communicate, at least the image and the metaphor uh, and it's harder for us because, and maybe you don't do this, but I think oftentimes today when we think of a sheep, uh, we think of a soft, cuddly little lamb. And maybe our mind even goes to that picture, that painting, you know the one I'm talking about where Jesus has got that little lamb and he's holding it close 
to his chest. Um, maybe you don't, but we tend to kind of have a more sentimental feel when we think about sheep. But friends, this is not a compliment. <laughs> Uh, the fact that we're called sheep uh, is not a compliment because think about sheep. Out of all the animals in the animal kingdom, the sheep sure got the short end of the stick, didn't they? They drew the short straw. Why? Well, because they're slow. They're defenseless. They cannot protect themselves from predators and wolves, and they're very vulnerable. They wander. They wander away from their shepherds, and they get lost, and they, unlike dogs, they can't find their way back home. Instead, they just start circling and going in a circle over and over and over again. When they fall down, lots of times they cannot get back up. There's stories of sheep running straight off of a cliff. There's stories of sheep uh, drowning themselves. Because they're not smart enough to get out of the water. Uh, There's other stories of them walking straight through an open fire and catching themselves on fire. Sheeps panic. They're fretful and nervous. Let me sum it up very succinctly. They're dumb. (laughs) They're helpless. They need somebody. They need a shepherd, and that is hard for us to hear. And it's hard for us to hear because we don't like to think of ourselves as being that vulnerable and not being able to take care of ourselves. But friends, you've got to understand what Jesus is saying here and what the Bible says about us, because if you don't understand that you're a sheep, then you really won't understand how good God is and how good Jesus is as the good Shepherd, you see, we need a shepherd to lead us and to care for us and to protect us. In the Bible, we see that God says he's the shepherd, right? The famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then we get to John chapter 10. And isn't it interesting, there again, Jesus, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I, last week, I am the resurrection. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. And once again, Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. He's claiming deity here in this passage. And so the question I want us to look at this morning is this. Why is Jesus such a good shepherd? What is so good about Jesus that he would say, I am the good shepherd? Three things. He's the good shepherd, we're going to see, because of his relationship with his sheep. Secondly, the way he sacrificed for his sheep. And thirdly and finally, his security that he offers his his sheep. So let's look at those three things, relationship, sacrifice, and security. Let's look at number one, his relationship. So a good shepherd, he has an intimate knowledge of his sheep. He knows them. Surely we picked up on that all the way through there about how intimate that relationship was. They know his voice. They respond to his voice. All of those sorts of things. Look at verse 3. Jesus calls this sheep by name. Think about that just for a second. The power of a name. 
Think about how powerful it is when someone calls you by name. I've talked to some of you in the last four months, and you talk about how you got to our church. And often what comes up is, yeah, when I visited a second time, someone remembered what? My name. They remembered my name. And you talk about how much that means to you. Friends, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name, and he never forgets your name like we do. Look at verses 14 and 15. Friends, this week was jaw, this was jaw-dropping for me. Look at 14 and 15, and listen to what's being said. I know my sheep, and they know me. Then, here it is, this amazing statement. I know my sheep just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Whoa. Let me read that again. I know my sheep just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father. Don't miss that. How intimately does Jesus know you this morning? As intimately as the first two people of the Trinity know one another. You think Jesus and God the Father know each other just a little bit? That's how intimately Jesus knows you. It's as if you were the only person on the planet. That's how intimately Jesus knows you. He knows who you really are. He knows what's really going on in your life. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows your struggles. He knows the stupid things that you did 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and he knows the stupid things that you're going to do 5 and 10 years in the future. He knows what you dream about. He knows what stresses you out and causes you lots of anxiety, what makes you weary, what causes you pain and heartache. He knows all of those things. And here it is. He cares about every single one of them. All the way down to the most insignificant detail in your life. He knows what time you get up in the morning. and He knows what time you go to sleep. And he cares about all of those. And you think about that and you're like, yes, that is the best news in the world. Why? Because we all want to be known, don't we? We all want someone to know us to the bottom and to love us and to not run or hurt us. And Jesus knows us that intimately. And yes, that is comforting, but if you think about it for two seconds, that's also very terrifying, isn't it? That is deeply terrifying. How so? We'll think about it this way. Let's suppose that you were to go to work uh, tomorrow and you were to take with you, it probably would be a hefty book, but a document that had everything that you had done in the past seven days, everything that you had uh, looked at with your eyes, everything that you have thought or said, all the way down to the meticulous detail was contained in that book. That's frightening, isn't it? You were to take that book and you were to go to work and you have a lunch appointment, which is probably at Milo's or... I'm kidding. Um, everybody goes to Milo's. I like Milo's. Or Saul's Barbecue, perhaps. Uh, and you have a lunch appointment, and you are walking out to that lunch appointment, and you say, I need just one more cup of coffee. And you go to the break room, cafeteria, wherever it is in your workplace where people gather, 
You pour your cup of coffee, you set the book down, you get there to where you're meeting them for lunch, and you sit down across the table, the food comes, it dawns on you, oh no. The book, and you realize you left it in the break room. There's a big pit in your stomach. And you push away from the table as quickly as you can, and you go as fast as you can back to the office. Why? Because there's some intimate details about your life in that book that you don't want anybody to see. And you walk into the break room, and you stop dead in your tracks because there are 20 or 30 of your co-workers looking around that book at everything that you have thought, done, and said in the last week. What do you do? i tell you what you do. You do what I would do. You tender your resignation. <laughs> you pack up your office. And you drive out and you never show your face there again. You see, that's the painful truth, isn't it? That if you and I knew each other all the way to the bottom, we would probably have nothing to do with one another, if we're really honest. Why? Because when we know, when, that, that's why when we, we don't want to be exposed and vulnerable because we're so afraid that if someone really knew what was going on, then they wouldn't want to be with us. They would want to run away and they would want to hide or want to hurt us in some way. But this morning, and here's what I want us to hear in this first point, what if Jesus is different? What if Jesus is different? What if he doesn't do what we tend to do with one another? What if Jesus doesn't use the information he knows about us against us? Well, you see, he doesn't. And that's why he is called the Good Shepherd. Because he gently bears with his, his sheep. And he knows us intimately. And listen, he doesn't look at the sheep and he doesn't say, dumb sheep, get with the program. I'm so disappointed in you. My patience is up. I'm fed up with you. No. Remember, Matthew chapter 9, he looks out on the people and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he has what? Not disdain or disappointment. He has compassion for them. Psalm 23, verse 4, the famous one uh, psalm that we've heard over and over perhaps. The Lord is our shepherd and he's with us and we have nothing to fear. And then it says this, his rod and his staff shame me, hurt me. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep very intimately and he cares about them and he comforts them and he loves them. Secondly, what makes Jesus such a good shepherd? Well, he knows his sheep and he loves his sheep even when he knows what they're really like. Secondly, he sacrifices for them. The whole passage he's been referencing that he's the good shepherd, and then look at verses 8 through 13, he starts to warn us of false shepherds. And he, he basically starts kind of comparing them, and so what's the difference between a false shepherd and the good shepherd? Well, he says two things. One, 
The good shepherd, what, lays down his life for the sheep. But a hired hand, what do they do? They're in it for themselves. And so when wolves come, they drop the sheep like a hot potato. And they're out because they simply care about themselves. Verse 9, look at verse 9. It says, uh, talks about the shepherd, the good shepherd. Leads to freedom in green pastures and life abundantly. But what, a hire, what do the hired hands do? They come to kill and to steal and destroy. And here's what we want to need to understand this morning. The assumption that Jesus is making here is that everyone has a shepherd. Everyone. Everyone is following something or someone. All of us, just based on how we're made as human beings, we are looking to something or something in order to take care of us, protect us, and lead us to life. Something that's going to give us life. And so the question for all of us this morning, who is your shepherd? What are you looking to this morning to care for you and to give you life? The good shepherd, you see, gives life and freedom, but the false shepherds crush you. And they take your life. And the hardest part, as you're thinking about the bad shepherds, the hardest thing to understand is that they often are very good things. And that makes them very hard to identify and to spot. Think about it. Work. Is work a good thing? Yeah. It's before the fall. It's before sin came into the world. God gave us work. Work's a great thing. We need work. But friends, it is a horrible shepherd. It will destroy you if you look to work in order to lead you and to give you life because it will crush your relationships and your joy and destroy your health and your humanity. What about health? Is health a good thing? Absolutely, health is a good thing. We need to take care of our bodies. But it is an awful shepherd because it always demands more. There's always one more calorie to count. There's always more exercise to be done or uh, more diets uh, to spend time with or more weight to lose or there's always a better time that you can meet if you're a runner. You see, health is good, but it's a horrible shepherd. Students, what about academics? Are academics good things? academics are great things and needed things, but boy, they are a horrible shepherd because they always demand more. There's always better grades to get and more to achieve and more time that you could spend studying. And when those things come into your life, I dealt with students for 12 years, in comes pressure and stress and comparison because suddenly you get competitive with people and you start to not like them. And then here it is, comes loneliness. Because all you do is study, because you've got to make the grade, and you have no friends, because you've cut them off, because you don't have time for friendship. You see, friends, that's not green pastures. <laughs> that's not life. That is someone, a bad shepherd, who is enslaving you and actually taking your life. Or I thought about this one this week. Maybe we don't look to those things to be our shepherds, but maybe we look to ourselves, 
right? Oftentimes we try to be our own shepherds, don't we? Think about that. And we're horrible shepherds of ourselves. Sheep, if you think about the illustration in the picture, they don't care for themselves very well at all. They put themselves in danger all of the time. And that's what we do. We create these unrealistic expectations of ourselves, our own standards that no one, not even Jesus, could possibly live up to inside of our hearts. And what happens? Your standards that you set for yourself are so high that no one could possibly keep them, and you don't keep them. You fail your own standards, and then what happens? Self-hatred. Inwardly, you start to spin out of control, and you start to shame yourself and beat yourself up, and you feel like an utter failure. And then here's what happens. You get up the next day, and you say, got to try harder. And so you start trying harder and you get on that performance treadmill and the cycle begins. John chapter 10 is such good news and here's why. You don't have to be your own shepherd. Jesus says, let me be your own shepherd, be your shepherd and I am a good shepherd. For example, let's think about this. If I were to give you, think about it this way, right now, Everybody in this place, I were to give a notepad, a legal notepad, and I were to ask you to write down right now your life. Everything, and I say your life, what's going on on the inside of you? Well, perhaps you would write down things that you're really ashamed of right now. Things that you can't let go of. Things that you hate about yourself. Maybe you would write down things that are really concerning you about your family or your health or your loved ones or your children, or the things that you have promised God that you would not do again, and you keep doing. You would write down your anxieties, whatever it might be, things that you're confused about. And the list would go on and on and on. And what if you were to write all those things down, and perhaps it would be pages of things. What if Jesus were to come up to you and to say, can I see the notepad? And what if he were to look at you and say, what if I just took all this? What if I just took the whole thing over? You would be crazy if you said, no, no, I got this. I can do this. What if Jesus comes and says, what if I just took the whole thing over? That's what it means when he says, I am the good shepherd. He will lead you. And he says, give me everything. All of your shame and your disobedience and your confusion and your worries and pride. Give it to me. I am good. And you can trust me. I I come to give you life abundantly, not to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Lastly, security. Look at verses 27 through 29. I had to talk about these verses because they're some of the most comforting verses to me in all of the Bible and really some of the most thrilling words that come out of the mouth of Jesus, in my opinion. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will not be snatched out of my hands. And see, we see that last characteristic of the Good Shepherd and what makes him so good is that with Jesus, the good shepherd, there is unbelievable security. 
There's unbelievable protection and confidence in the loving arms of the good shepherd. And I love the way it said. Notice, it says nothing, did, did you pick up on this? Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Did you catch that? That is what makes the gospel such good news, great news. Is Notice it does not say nothing can pluck Jesus out of your hand. That would be terrible news. You see, the focus and the good news of the gospel is that life with Jesus is not about your grip on Him. It's about His grip on you. It's not about your faithfulness, it's about His faithfulness. And that should be like water to a weary soul this morning. Think about how good that really is, that your security is not wrapped up in your performance and how good you are and how good you're doing and your own faithfulness and strength. But it's wrapped up in His faithfulness and in His strength. And I think, I know I need to hear this. We all need to hear this this morning, don't we? Because some of us this morning feel like our grip is slipping on Jesus. It's been a horrible year spiritually so far and we're only four months in. Some of you are struggling with your desire to maybe read your Bible or to pray or to be even here this morning in uh, kingdom communities or your grace group. Or maybe you're full of doubts. All of a sudden you don't know what you think about this stuff called Christianity. Or maybe you struggle with assurance of salvation and you're always doubting that you're a Christian and now you're in a season of lots of doubts about your faith. And Jesus looks at you and says, it's about my faithfulness. Stop looking at the quality of your faith and start looking at the object of your faith. Look at me. Your grip might be slipping, but my grip has not slipped and will never slip. It's like a vice grip. I have got you. Or maybe this morning you're just tired. You're completely exhausted of your fight with sin. Your pride keeps manifesting itself in ways that you don't want it to. You struggle with body image and an eating disorder and a pornography addiction and you just don't want to fight anymore because you feel like giving up. You feel like your grip is weak and Jesus says, I've got you. I will never let you go. You will never be snatched out of my hands. How is that possible? That is such great news. How is it remotely possible that that can be true? Look at verse 14. I lay, we saw this all the way through. I lay down my life for my sheep. Verse 18, and this is important. I lay it down begrudgingly. I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to. No. Verse 18, I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus wanted to die for you. Jesus wanted to die for you. He voluntarily went to the cross and took the punishment that we deserved for our sin. And here's what I want us to get around our minds and in our hearts is who would die for a sheep? Not me. And I don't think any of you. Think about sheep. They wander off. They're unfaithful. They do crazy and stupid things. You know who would die for a sheep? Jesus. 
would die for a sheep. And friends, if he did that, he's got you. And he will be with you to the end. Many of you know that I've been watching um, Susie and I, the NBC show, This Is Us, just finished the first season. And uh, just a warning, if, if you're not ready for a good cry, <laughs> don't watch it. Because <laughs> uh, there's some very powerful things there. It's about a family. If you haven't seen the show, I'll try to set it up for you. It's about a family. Uh, and this particular episode and scene is about two brothers. Randall uh, is a perfectionist. He's high strung. He's very successful. He's a very, very hard worker. And uh, his father is dying, and because his father is dying, he hadn't been able to go do as much at work. And so the competition, someone at his work is getting ahead of him. And so he's starting to lose some accounts. And he starts to have a nervous breakdown and to completely come unraveled. His brother, his name is Kevin, who's pretty self-centered most of the time, and uh, is an aspiring actor, and so... He's trying to make it big as an actor, and he's got a play, an opening night of his play, and people from the the New Yorker will be there. It's packed. All of his family's there. And five minutes before the play begins, he gets a phone call, and it's Randall. And Randall says it's very confusing. You can tell he's out of it. And Kevin senses right away that something's not right. Why? Because he knows his brother. And Randall says, I won't be able to make it tonight. I'm really sorry. And hangs up the phone. Kevin uh, strives to think about what he's going to do. Well, the play opens. It's showtime. And the lead actress turns around looking for the lead actor, Kevin, for the opening line. And he is not there. All these people are there waiting for this play. And it's Kevin's night of glory. And where is Kevin? The camera shows him and he's sprinting as fast as he can to Randall's office. And he goes and he sees and he walks into the office. He walks in the doors and Randall is in the fetal position. Weeping. Completely coming unraveled. And Kevin walks over and he looks at him in the face and he calls him by his name and he says, Randall. And there's no response. Because he's completely coming apart. And then Kevin sits down beside Randall. In the corner. And he puts his arm around him. And he pulls Randall's head to his chest. As if to say, I got you. I got you. And if you keep watching the next episodes, it's the thing that leads to his healing. And friends, isn't that what we all want this morning? Isn't what we want is someone to know us so well that they know when, we're at, when we are at the end of our rope. And they know us so well, and in those moments we want someone to care for us. Someone who will sacrifice their glory to come and to call us by name and sit down with us and put our, their arm around us and to just simply hold us. That's what Jesus does as the Good Shepherd. And that's why He is so good. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Lays his life down for us. He leads us to life abundantly. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Your good shepherd. He really is better than you think he is.
Let's pray. Father, we are weak sheep. And we know that you are a good shepherd. And if we have never acknowledged that we're sheep and come to you and followed you as our shepherd, I pray that those who are here that have never done that, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see, that they would follow you and hear your voice. Father, help us to be people that hear your voice and to come to you and let you lead us because you really are so good. Help us to believe that in Jesus' name. Amen.